Well, hey there, City Gators. I trust you enjoyed that interview uh, with Mike and S. Um, if you are only joining us right now, my name is Vic, and uh, I will be speaking today. As a church, we are concluding our series out of the second letter that Peter wrote. Today, we'll be looking at chapter three. Um, and if there's a title to today's message, it will be Be Right Back. So if you have your notebooks with you, you can write that down and obviously be ready for a couple of other points. Uh, reminder that uh, we are encouraging you to read uh, along with us. Words will not be up on the screen. So if you have your paper Bible, paper Bible with you or your digital Bible with you, won't you turn with me to chapter 3. Um, but before we start reading uh, and discussing each of these verses, I'd love to just pray. So join me if you can. Heavenly Father, uh, so thankful for this book. Um, help us, Lord Jesus, to learn again as we've learned over these weeks. Uh, thank you for your, your uh, disciple, your apostle Peter, that penned these words for us. Uh, we trust you now, Holy Spirit, to help us understand this, uh, even as you inspired Peter when he wrote that. We know that you are here to, uh, to make these words um, uh, come alive for us. And so even, even in and through me, I want to ask that you to help me as I speak and teach today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in to, uh, to this chapter, chapter 3 of Second Peter. We'll read the first three verses uh, initially. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Let's stop there and chat a little bit. Peter here is reminding his readers, as he's reminded them in chapter 1, again, he's not shy to repeat himself. Uh, and in a nutshell here, he's saying to them, I want you to read your Bibles, like he said at the end of chapter 1. It'll be good for you. He talks here about the predictions of the holy prophets, speaking of the Old Testament. And he's talking about the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, the New Testament, really. He's saying your Old and your New Testament. I want you to, to read your Bibles. Um, and I want to quickly just use this opportunity to encourage you to, uh, to participate in our Advent daily devotionals. Maybe reading the Bible is not a discipline in your life, or you'd like for it to be. Um, and we are giving you a tool. It's called Wonder. Uh, we are using uh, uh, an app called Dwell, but you don't have to participate using that app yourself. You can just use an old school paper Bible, download the, the uh, daily devotions, the PDF online, and join us in cultivating this discipline of reading the scripture particularly around this amazing season of celebrating the coming of our Lord Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago. So, um, yeah, uh, follow Peter's uh, advice. Uh, read your Old Testament. Read your New Testament. Uh, and the reason why he's doing this is, you know, he's, he's confronting false teachers. Chapter 2, these people were saying, it's no judgment, live as you like. Chapter 3 today, which is the title uh, of the sermon, is about the coming, the returning of Jesus. Their theory is if he's not coming back, you know, live as you like. Um, but Jesus did say to his disciples, I'll be right back. Uh, and, uh, and, and this false teaching is, is, you're able to spot this false teaching if you know the scriptures. I was reminded uh, of, of a story I heard my, my in-laws tell of, uh, you know, in the days in, in the banks before they had machines counting money. The bank tellers, the people behind the counters, they would be trained with real, authentic uh, notes, you know, bills. That's all that they were exposed to. They weren't shown the counterfeit bills. They were just shown the real thing. And so as they were counting money, if a counterfeit bill was 
in the pile. They'd immediately pick it up because they are so familiar with the real deal, with the real thing. They don't need to be shown the fake things. It's so easy to spot when you know the real one. And that's really what it is for us when we know the truth, when we marinate in the scripture, when we know God's word. We are able to actually discern some of the errors and the false teachings in our culture, in our day. And that's why Peter's saying, come on, I want to remind you. I'm going to keep banging this drum. Read your Bibles, <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to, to uh, pick up that discipline if you haven't yet. He talks about, obviously, these false teachers will rise up in the last days. And maybe you've got this question, or when is, when is the last days? Are we living in the last days? A lot of people can be really preoccupied with, uh, with uh, trying to figure out, you know, uh, when the Lord will return, when, when, are, when are the end times, you know, uh, uh, consumed with sort of apocalyptic uh, uh, subjects. Um, and, and actually, the scripture teaches that the last days are the days in between the ascension of Jesus. Remember, he came, lived our life, died uh, 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 on the cross, buried, resurrected, then ascended into heaven and said, I'll be back. And so the last days is between his ascension and his return. So they were living in the last days and you and I are living in the last days. This is the point that Peter's trying to make. Don't try and you know, get caught up in the details but, but just understand that that's the season. We, we're all still living in the last days. And so what he writes to them applies to you and me as well. We're in the same season. So let's keep reading. We'll just read verse 4 uh, next of chapter 3. He says, They will say, these scoffers, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, so he's describing how they are scoffing. You know, the word scoff means to, to, to kind of sow doubt, to, to say, oh, really? Is it really going to happen? Uh, you know, and they're saying, come on now. Uh, you know, ever since our you know, fathers and kind of our forefathers have fallen asleep, day in and day out, things are just going the way it's always been. So is Jesus really coming back? You know, is, is he really going to keep his uh, promise? And, uh, uh, you know, last, last week, the subject matter was, uh, don't worry about judgment, it's not going to happen. This week's subject matter is, he's not coming back. And, uh, and the way they scoffing reminds me actually of, of the first temptation that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. When God said, you know, don't eat of this tree. If you do, you'll surely die, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempted them by saying, did God really say you can't eat? Did he, did he really say they made him doubt his promise? And that's kind of what these false teachers are doing. Did, did, did Jesus really say he's coming back? Is he really coming back? They are doubting and sowing doubt. So let's keep reading as Peter confronts them. Verses 5 to 7 now says, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter is telling them that, uh, remember, don't, don't, don't fall for the tra trap of these uh, um, uh, these scoffers, these lie teachers, remember that God has intervened multiple times in history. I mean, Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. God intervened and brought chaos 
uh, sorry, brought order out of chaos. He intervened over there. And then later, you know, in the days of Noah, when there was so much wickedness, he intervened again and he brought judgment, you know, through water again. And, uh, and, and, and I, I even thought about Christmas is a story of the intervention of God that, yes, by his word, he created in the, in the beginning. And then the Bible describes Jesus as the living word. It's like the word on the street. Like, what's God like? Jesus shows us what God is like. And, and he intervened again, coming into history. It's incredible. And, and because of that, he's saying to his, his readers, he will intervene again. He's coming back. If he, you know, don't forget how he created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and don't forget how he judged. And, and, and therefore, you know, hold on, have hope. He is coming again. And, and, you know, it talks about these scoffers being deliberate in, in being forgetful. It's convenient, right, to not think about the Lord's return because then it justifies their actions. They can continue to live licentiously, thinking there will be no judgment. And, and he's saying to them, don't fall into that trap. Remember that people in the days of Noah, they had this sort of complacent certainty. Everything's going to be fine. This guy's crazy. He's building an ark. What's he doing? A complacent certainty fell upon them. And that's perhaps upon our culture. And maybe it's upon you as a listener. And he's warning, saying, don't forget what happened to them. They got caught off guard. Judgment came. And so uh, I want to say to those that are listening today, we believe as Christians, uh, we, we take Jesus at his word, that history actually, as we know it, will not go on forever this way, that there will be an intervention that Jesus will return. And, and verse 7 here talks about that, uh, that, uh, that day, you know, the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly and the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So, of course, that reference to fire there, we, we do know that, 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 um, that judgment would come and, and, and eternal punishment for those who reject God. Uh, you know, the Bible describes it as a terrible place, uh, unquenchable fire. You know, I think there is a reference to that. But also, uh, you know, scholars would say, given the subject matter that's coming a few verses down, that it also speaks of refinement. That actually, you know, it's not like a painter who paints something, go, oh, that's terrible, and then burns it and, and discards it, but more like a, like a blacksmith who, who actually purifies uh, a metal so that it can come out with fire, come out pure on the other side. This is what uh, later in chapter 3 we'll, we'll have a look at, okay, the, the refining of our world. Um, but let's keep reading, verses 8 to 9 in chapter 3. It goes like this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Wow, that's an encouraging verse. Um, he's first of all saying here, our timeline is not like God's timeline. Number one, of course, if you're writing this down, uh, what is long for you and me, what takes long for you and me, is, is not long for God, okay? Uh, God is actually free from, from the, the, the trappings in our, in our, in our mind of, 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 of impatience, you know, especially in a day where we, we used to instant everything. Uh, God doesn't have that problem of human impatience. He doesn't have the human concerns uh, that, that's connected to time. You know, I'm going to be late for this meeting. I'm gonna, you know, like the way that we process time and, and the little pressures in our own world. Remember, our, our lives, you know, it, they are tiny and insignificant, really, in the grand scheme of things. My little
little life. Uh, you know, it's a very narrow view through which we want to uh, judge God in his, on, in his timetable. Um, human history, as we know it, there are so many more moving parts than you could ever cope with and, and, and think about. You don't have the faculties to do that. So he's just saying, remember, you're created, God's uncreated. He doesn't operate within time the way, the way that you make sense of the world. Um, and so, you know, he has not returned, but that doesn't mean he's, he's slow. So the, the second point there is that because he takes so long does not mean he does not care about us. Actually, his patience in, his, in, in delaying his return is because he's kind, because he is caring. He's saying here, uh, he's slow. His slowness is a sign of him wanting to, to, to see salvation, more salvations. Um, he is not cruel in taking his time. He is kind in taking, maybe not his time, taking our time. You know? uh, and because the fact is, upon the return of Jesus, when he comes to judge the, the living and the dead, opportunities to turn to the Lord, opportunities to believe the gospel, opportunities to receive the free gift that he's offering mankind will no longer be available. Now is the time where people could still turn and say yes to Jesus. But upon his return, those opportunities will be gone. And so he's kind, not cruel, in taking his time. There is still opportunities to believe and receive the gospel. And you know, God describes himself as kind and gracious and patient. Uh, I know I referred to this moment a few weeks ago when we talked about the glory that Peter saw on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, um, I referenced Exodus chapter 34. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? Chapter 34 of Exodus. We'll just read verse 6 to 7. Maybe we'll sneak verse 8 in there as well. This is what God said to Moses. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You can see the tension there that yes, judgment will come, but first, God is slow to anger. He's, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what Peter's saying. His slowness is salvation. He's, 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 he's kind, not cruel, in taking his time. But don't fall into the trap of chapter 2. Those lies that says there will be no judgment. No, it says he will by no means clear the guilty. Actually, justice will be served. And you have an opportunity now to, to put your faith in Jesus, who was was penalized for our sin in our place. Or you could reject Jesus and say, no, it's fine. I'll take care of my sin myself. And you know, when God revealed himself like this to Moses, I love how Moses responds. This is verse eight. It says, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And this should be the way that we should respond. If we hear about this gracious and kind God, this merciful God, the correct response is to fall on your knees and to worship. I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian and you're hearing the gospel or you've heard bits and pieces of it, he is patient with you. He's giving you an opportunity to respond to him. Take and receive the gift of the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. I implore you. And you know, 
uh, we don't have time to get into this, but some people would say, well, if God wants everyone to be saved, you know, God should get what he wants because he's God. Uh, and, and theologians call this the difference between the perfect will of God. He wants all to, to, to be saved. Even the Old Testament speaks of God not taking pleasure in seeing the, 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 the wicked perish. Um, he, he wants that. But he's, he also has a permissive will. And his, and, and his permissive will is that he actually still allows people to reject him. And so when we or when others reject Jesus, uh, it's not that our wills override the will of God. No, actually, the will of God that's perfect in terms of wanting all to be saved uh, is, in a sense, overwritten by his permissive will, where he's like, although that would be ideal, I am still allowing people to uh, reject me. And so it's the permissive will of God that is at play over there. And, and these things are complicated. And I would just say, if Peter is saying, listen, uh, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's like you can't really compare, you know, God and, and God's perspective and our perspective. I would say that when it comes to matters of, of salvation, and uh, uh, it is complicated. And, but, but I would say that's probably how it will be if I'm a created being and he's uncreated, if he's God and I'm not. I'm, there's going to be some things that would offend me, some things that would confuse me. And I'm, I'm okay with that because of who I am and because of who he is. So let's keep reading verses 10 to 13, chapter 3, 2 Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What's going on here? Well, first of all, he says, the Lord will come like a thief. All right, there will be an element of surprise. You know, maybe people love to get into these sort of apocalyptic end of, end of the world predictions, you know, when the Lord will come. But actually, Peter's even saying it's going to be a surprise even for believers, okay? So, um, uh, uh, you know, we'll be caught of God. But of course, in particular, those who are, are not Christ followers, those who are unbelievers, those who find themselves, you know, complacent like those in the days of Noah, a certainty to their complacency. Um, and I, and I want to say to those that are listening today, maybe you are exploring Christianity, that, 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 that we believe the Lord will return, although we can't tell you exactly when. Um, uh, and we base that on the fact that he promised to come the first time, that, you know, in the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come, the Redeemer would come, the, the one that would rescue us from our sin. It took place 2,000 years ago. God came in the flesh, lived our life, died our death, paid the penalty for our sin. And then offered that to mankind to be redeemed and to be saved and be brought back into relationship with the Father. That happened. And because that happened, because Jesus said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be raised again. And then he was. He was resurrected. And in his ascension, he said to his disciples, I'm coming back. I'm coming again. We believe he's coming again because he kept his promise that he was going to come the first time. He came. He keeps his promises. And when he comes... Verse 10 here tells us, you know, how 
crazy it would be, this grandeur moment, you know, that the heavens in a sense will be peeled back, the heavenly bodies will be burned up. The, it, it speaks of being exposed, being, being, being found is what it's saying, here, it's saying in verse 10. In other words, there's no place to hide. When, when, when heaven, uh, you know, the heavens are peeled back and, and God comes to, to deal and confront evil, deal with evil, no, no, no one will be able to hide. No one will be able to run. And, uh, and actually, when that happens, the, the fire that's referring to there, as, as I said earlier, is, is, is perhaps a refining one because he's coming, as it says at the end of what we read here, to bring a new heavens and a new earth, to bring restoration. So it's not a destroying of everything. It's actually a renewing of it. And the Old Testament speaks of that, the renewal that's coming our way. And the body, the resurrected body of Jesus is a prophecy. It's a first fruit of this pattern that we can expect that he will take the, what, what we see around us and redeem and restore it, not discard it. And so we are, we are wanting to be ready for that moment because, you know, when you get ready, you know, planning kind of for a thief, you know, at night, what would you do? You put cameras up, you install an alarm system. There is a sense that we, we expect the return of the Lord. We're ready like that. But not that we know exactly when, but how do we live expectancy, uh, expectantly? Is we are faithful with the time we're giving, given until his return. So that's why he's asking this question. What sort of people ought you to be? The question is, how should we live now in the last days? Well, we, we should be patient. You know, his time and our time is not the same, but we should also live with purpose. Patience, yeah. Purpose, absolutely. Live with purpose. Somehow, he, he describes you that we both, we both um, wait, we have to be patient, but we also can hasten the coming of the Lord. There's a waiting and a hastening happening side by side. It's like when someone says to you, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. That's kind of what Christianity is like right now. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, by proclaiming His first coming. We hasten the second coming of the Lord by proclaiming the first coming. That's why this Christmas season is such a great opportunity to speak about Jesus coming to rescue us. That, that is how we hasten it. Jesus will return, the scriptures say, one day when the job is done of people being told about Him. And Jesus, in His sovereignty, wills the job to be done through you and me. He's not going to do it any other way. And so let's get busy. Yes, we are patient. We're waiting for him, but we're patient with purpose. We proclaim the first coming of Jesus. I love what Oswald J. Smith said. He says, yes, we talk of the second coming of Christ, but half the world has never even heard of the first coming. And so we don't want to fall into that mistake. We want to proclaim the coming of Jesus loudly, boldly, because in doing so, we can hasten, it, hasten the second coming, the return of Jesus. And another point here you can write down is that you can expect a harvest, therefore. Like Peter is telling us, he's patient so that many would come to faith. In other words, many would come to faith. Even in the, 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 the name of Jesus, Jesus, the word in, in, in Hebrew means the Lord saves. It doesn't mean the Lord judges. So we can expect that the Lord would save people as we proclaim his first coming in the last days before his second coming. Expect a harvest. And so in summary, God is delaying his return and therefore we are not sinful in the meantime, like the, you know, the liars in chapter 2, and, but we're also not slothful. We don't find ourselves just waiting and not doing anything. We wait uh, expectantly with purpose. And uh, you know, 
Verse 13 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. They are, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk in our day about you know, uh, fixing the problems uh, on planet earth. Uh, that, that, that is a result of our bad stewardship of creation. But I want to say to you, God is the original planet renewer. Yes, there's a lot of talk of like, let's change things up, you know. But, but God is the one who's going to fix it properly one day. Um, and, and for Christians, salvation, maybe you thought, oh, it's just escaping, escaping uh, our bodies, you know, go, going somewhere better. No, salvation, according to the scripture, is not escaping. It's actually restoration. History will end one day, not with us escaping, but with Jesus invading Jesus invading our fallen world and fallen world and renewing it. His resurrection was the first pointer to that, as he had a resurrected body, redeemed body. That miracle in Jesus has begun, and we know he will bring it to completion, as Peter writes here, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, he will confront and deal with evil, and he will restore it. And I love the fact that the body of Jesus, the resurrected body, human body, is in heaven right now, showing us that the new earth will be compatible with heaven. It's not incompatible. Let's throw it away. He's going to renew it in a way where there's this beautiful bringing together of heaven invading earth. We don't escape it. Actually, Jesus invades it. That's good news. I'm excited about that. So let's conclude by reading verses 14 to 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Right, we're nearly done. He starts off here by saying, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The question might be, you might ask, well, okay, if he's coming, how am I going to be spotless? How am I going to be without blemish? How am I going to be at peace with God? Well, he says to be found by him. <laughs> be diligent to be found by him. There's, it speaks here of the fact that, that you, know, you don't actually find God. We are the lost ones. God finds us. Jesus finds us. There's this humility. I need a savior. And actually when he finds you, when you allow him to rescue you, he brings you into a relationship with the Father. Your sin is taken care of. You are spotless and blameless because Jesus paid for your sin. That's how you are saved. That's how you escape judgment. You, he was judged on your behalf. You are found by him. And, then, and, then, and when your sin is removed, you are reconciled to a holy God. That's the answer. There it is right there for you. If you are asking the question, how must I be saved? Be found by Jesus. Put your faith in him. But then he carries on and he, and, he, and he talks a little bit about Paul, an apostle, who, who actually wrote so much of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote. And he affirms them as scripture here, Peter. And so again, I want to encourage you to read Paul's letters like Peter is encouraging his readers to read Paul's letters. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and, and then you'll be able to see what he refers to here when he says others twist Paul's words to say that this gospel of freedom, like you're free from the power of sin, you're free from the penalty of sin. You know, Paul is saying, don't twist it, saying, therefore, you can just keep sinning. Uh, uh, th sorry, the lawless teachers are saying, 
Therefore, you can keep on sinning. Paul isn't saying that. And you can see that for yourself if you read those letters. And then he ends off calling these recipients. He calls them beloveds. I love that. It's the fourth time in this chapter. So I know Peter was intense. Man, this is an intense letter. He talks about judgment and fire and the coming of the Lord. But he's speaking to them because he loves them. He says, beloved, fourth time in this chapter. And what an appropriate way to end. He wants the best for them. I love North American greetings. We don't say it this way in South Africa when we say cheers or goodbye to somebody. But what you guys say is you say, take care. I love that. Take care. Look after yourself. And that's what Peter is saying. Take care. He's saying, take care. Don't lose your own stability. Be anchored in the truth. Don't lose your own stability. Take care. COVID has added this extra thing where people say, be safe. You know, take care and be safe. Look after yourself. And that's how someone who loves the, the readers, that's how he writes. And he says to them, I want you to grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. Understand God's grace. He's patient so that, so that people would come to faith. He's gracious because he gives you what you don't deserve because he gave, gave Jesus what he did not deserve. Grow in the knowledge of the gospel and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with him intimately for three years and he wants his readers to know Jesus too. And what a way to end a letter is to say to you, come on, let's grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I trust you were encouraged by this book. We are done now and about to head into our Advent season. Have an amazing Sunday and have an amazing week. We'll see you soon.